Probably not, unless you do something longer term or bigger contract. When you're trying to develop guys, does giving minutes take away from those guys? You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by BasketballMonster.com. And today's episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast is also brought to you by Zip Recruiter. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-F-B to post your jobs for free. My name is Josh Lloyd. And of course, you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. I am also the lead fantasy analyst over at BasketballMonster.com. So make sure you're checking us out over there as well. And to follow all our podcast-related content, head to LockedOnFantasyBasketball.com. We are here. It's the Monday show. We're going to recap the action from Sunday. We're going to preview the games for Monday. We're going to preview the week ahead for weekly leagues, for daily leagues to get your streaming strategy right. And we're also going to have a look back at the teams that played Friday, Saturday that don't play on Sunday and Monday. So we're going to cover all 30 teams throughout the entirety of this podcast. So... Let's get to it. To it. That means we've got a lot to talk about. We will start by looking at the week ahead for weekly leagues and for daily leagues in fantasy. It is week nine now in the NBA, and it's a very interesting week in terms of daily changes leagues, in terms of the streaming strategy that you're able to employ. We've got streaming available probably five days of the week, maybe six days this week. On Monday, there are six games and Tuesday, seven games. So a really easy start of the week in terms of finding open spots on your roster. Wednesday, we've got nine games. So in some situations, you will be able to stream someone in and use them on the Wednesday. In a lot of cases, you won't. Thursday, we've got five, prime streaming day. Friday, 11, going to be tough to find a spot on your active roster. Then to end the week, Saturday, we've got eight games and Sunday, we've got four games. So with five, potentially six days available for us to stream, using your weekly acquisitions judiciously is going to be a really key point and really making sure you take make the most. And that's what we want to look at when we look at the, the streaming strategy for the week. You know, where do the back-to-backs or the pseudo back-to-backs lie and which guys you can add at the right times to get instead of you know one game per ad, you can get two games per ad or maybe three games per ad, depending on the way that your team looks or the, or the guys that you add and making sure you make the most of those limited moves that you are given in most leagues. And if your league doesn't have weekly acquisition limits, I can't stress enough how much better it does make it. Yeah, streaming is a, is a viable strategy, but when you can have two, three streaming spots and stream in 20 blokes throughout the week, it's just, it's death by volume. And that's not something that fantasy should be, um, looking at. So you want to inf- inter, try again, not influence. You want to introduce a streaming rule for next, le- next, next season for your league. Um, I know ESPN defaults to seven. I think it's too high. Four or five is really a good amount. If you want to be really strict on it, go for three, but then that can uh, really lead the vagaries of the schedule to determine victories because then you have very little ability. If someone has seven more games than you during the week due to the schedule, it makes it harder for you to catch that up. So four to five is the right amount. So if you are a little bit behind, you can stream well and you can make those numbers up. Um, but without going overboard and just being the person who's the most active on the waiver wire, I'm just, just dismantles it is the person who wins each week, which is not usually the best way to go about determining a winner of a fantasy league. In saying all that, let's look at how we can make the most of these acquisitions for the week. Monday, Tuesday, it looks great. But no, there's there's no teams that are that are playing a back to back on Monday and Tuesday, so that means that you can't get that two for one addition, which again is not a, an ideal scenario when looking at uh, you're trying to maximise those acquisitions. 
as I said, Wednesday with nine games. I'm going to treat that as if it's a non-streaming day. If you want to find out which teams play the Tuesday, Wednesday, and see how that best fits, check out our schedule analyzer over on Basketball Monster. But Tuesday, Thursday is a pseudo back-to-back, and there's a ton of teams that play that pseudo back-to-back. Detroit, Cleveland, Brooklyn, the Knicks, the Timberwolves, the Kings, the Hawks, the Mavs, and the Lakers all play that Tuesday, Thursday back-to-back. And that's... um. Yeah, that's somewhere where you can uh, can attack and get those uh, get those games and be able to use those two games for the price of one, which is what we're trying to do to minimize our our use of acquisitions. Thursday, Saturday is another pseudo back to back with Friday wedged in the middle with eleven games. Where if you add that guy on Thursday, you know, dropping him to add someone on Friday is probably not going to be the best option because you're not actually going to be able to find room on your roster to play that guy on Friday. So teams that have that Thursday Saturday the Cavs, the Knicks, the Timberwolves, and the Ma- and the Mavericks. So you'll see two teams there, uh, the same. We've got the Cavs have the Tuesday, Thursday. They also have the Thursday, Saturday. And the Mavericks also, and the Timberwolves also have that Tuesday, Thursday, Thursday, Saturday. So you could theoretically add a Cleveland player, the plumber, J.R. Smith. You could look at Jumpin' Jay Crowder. You could add Jose Calderon or Dwayne Wade if he's available. He should be probably owned anyway. You could look at Timberwolves, guys. Maybe it's Jamal Crawford in a 14-team league for Dallas. Maxi Kleber, Wes Matthews, if he is around, J.J. Barea. Uh, Yogi Ferrell, those guys, and you can add them you know, to get one, get three games for the price of one. But if you're a Cavs player, you can get four games out of, out of guys like J.R. Smith because they play the Tuesday, Thursday pseudo back-to-back. They play the Thursday, Saturday pseudo back-to-back, and they're the only team to have a Saturday, Sunday back-to-back. So you can add that Cleveland guy for one addition and get four games out of them. And that is really what you should be looking to do. Tristan Thompson's also potentially returning this week. So you might be able to add him and get four games out of him for the price of one add. The other thing we can look at is if you do have openings on some of these higher scheduled days, teams that play three games in four nights can be a way to get... they play the bulk of their games in this little shortened period. So we look at... There's quite a few teams that do that this week. The Pistons, the Wizards, the Nuggets, and the Hawks all play three and four starting on Tuesday. So they could be your early week ones. And then there's a bunch of them that start a three and four on Wednesday. The Thunder, the Blazers, the Rockets, the Grizzlies, the Clippers, the Hornets, the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Jazz all start a three and four on Wednesday. And then to end the week, the Cavs and the Nets have a three and four beginning on Thursday. So they can be your end of week type players. We have a look at weekly leagues. There are three teams this week who play only two games, the Warriors, the Lakers, and the Sixers. Probably the only guy that you want to play, to be honest, is going to be Kevin Durant. You could make the argument for Joel Embiid, but after he sat out today with back tightness, there is a risk there because if he misses one game, then one game is not enough. Now, he said he's going to be fine to play. He warmed up with every intention of playing today, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but that that could be a somewhat of a risky play. But it also means that if you're looking, oh, yeah, Embiid hurt his back. Do I go and add uh, Rishon Holmes? Do I add Amir Johnson? They've got two games this week. And those guys aren't going to be good enough to to start in weekly leagues or even use in in most daily changes leagues. So it's not necessarily going to be you're going to be a really good situation to uh, to add those players. The teams that play four games this week, you got the Celtics, the Nets, the Hornets, the Cavs, Pistons, Rockets, Clippers, Grizzlies, Heat, Thunder, Blazers, Raptors, and Wizards, and then the three game teams: Hawks, Bulls, Mavs, Nuggets. Pacers, Bucks, Wolves, Pelicans, Knicks, Magic, Suns, Kings, Spurs, and Jazz. Matt Smith covers all this on his article over on basketballmonster.com, and you can check that out with our schedule analyzer as well. There's also a, um, a streaming article up on lockedonfantasybasketball.com written by John Ferrier, who does some great work over there as well. So check out his articles and check out Adam King's stuff over on Locked On Fantasy Basketball as well. 
So that, uh, that's covering all the stuff for actually, let's look at weekly, um, at, at the week ahead in terms of ease of schedule. We've got, um, you know, all the, of these teams playing four games. Well, you're going to start most of these guys, but the Pistons, the Raptors and the Thunder have the best schedule of the week. But the, where the differentiation is going to be is in the three game teams. The Knicks, the Timberwolves and the Pelicans have the best schedule in terms of ease of opponents. The Knicks play the Nets, the Lakers and the, oh, sorry, the, the Nets, the Lakers, and the Thunder. The Timberwolves play the Sixers, the Kings, and the Suns. On the other side of the three-game spectrum, the Mavericks have the Spurs, they have the Warriors, and then they have the Spurs again. So not only are they going to get smashed in all those games, but they're hard defenses with a big blowout potential. So that's a, an ugly situation. But the, And then if we're talking daily changes leagues, the Mavericks have it set up really well where you could add one of their players and get three quality games out of them with just one addition. So that's the difference between a daily changes and a weekly changes league. If you add JJ Barea in a weekly changes league with only three games and some real shitful matchups, he's probably not going to be a 12-team league start. In a daily changes league, you could add him on Tuesday and get three games out of him and be a much more valuable player. And that is a big, big difference. The Bulls also have a pretty terrible schedule. Celtics, Jazz, and Bucks for them, while the Magic have the Clippers, the Blazers, and the Pistons. Not exactly a great situation for those guys. As I said, the two-game two-game week guys. You don't want anyone on the Lakers starting, uh, and it's really Durant. Maybe Draymond, who is probable with his shoulder soreness. Um, Clay, I don't even think he's a must-start player. Uh, Benny Simmons, not not necessarily a must-start player either. Embiid's the only other one which I'd be leaning probably a little bit against at this stage, given the um given the fact that he has missed the last two games, but that's not really too much of a long-term concern in my mind. Anyway, let's have a look at today's sponsor, and it's great to have these guys back on board, and that is the wonderful people over at Zip Recruiter. If you're in need of great talent for your business, but you're short on time, you don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You just need the right tools, smarter tools. With Zip Recruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. So you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. And then Zip Recruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting. So you receive the best possible matches. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And the easy-to-use ZipRecruiter dashboard lets you manage your hiring process from start to finish all in one place. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free just go to ziprecruiter.com slash L-O-F-B. That's ziprecruiter.com slash L-O-F-B. One more time, try it for free. And to tell them that you came from this podcast, go to ziprecruiter.com slash L-O-F-B. What we're going to do now is cover off the teams that played across the weekend that we're not going to be talking about in terms of recapping Sunday's action or previewing Monday's action. So let's start by looking at the Brooklyn Nets, a team who... Um, it's hard to get a real gauge on this because Jill Okafor hasn't played since arriving. I gave a big breakdown of the Okafor trade on Friday's podcast, so you can go check out my thoughts there. One thing I will mention is that Karis LeVert played quite well yet again, 12 points with five assists and two steals, and I think he's a pretty decent 12-team league ad at the moment. Whenever D'Angelo Russell returns, it will have an impact on LeVert. I don't think that Stauskas coming in is going to really impact him too negatively. Uh, he played 31 minutes across the weekend and looked really good in that situation. Really hard to judge too 
too much of the big men. Jared Allen played 22 minutes. Tyler Zeller played 22 minutes, but Okafor coming into that mix does change things. The other thing that's important to note is that Rondé Hollis-Jefferson played 35 minutes and had 18 and 8 with two blocks. So he, to me, is a must-own player. Got a lot of questions about whether you drop Damari Carroll. He struggled, no doubt about that. Um, only played 26 minutes, five points on two of 10 shootings, a horrendous return, seven uh, seven rebounds for him. You know, bad on his uh, on his um, field goal percentage or free throw percentage as well. And over the last two weeks, he's been outside the top 250. I still think that he's a fine own for 12s. In a 10-team league, I'm pretty confident you can do better than Damari Carroll. But in a 12-team league, he's he's fine to own. But he's not just, you don't just drop him for the sake of dropping him. I don't really see his minutes going anywhere at this point. Um, the next team we're going to take a look at is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Not a huge amount to talk about uh, for these guys across the weekend. Dwayne Wade put in a couple of stinkers. I still think he's a 12-team league guy. Probably not a 10-team league guy, especially with Isaiah Thomas coming back, but he put in a couple of not awesome performances. Uh, the plumber, J.R. Smith, hit seven threes across his two games, and that's obviously really good, but we only look at him as a stream option for the three-pointers. There was Kevin Love sitting out one game due to a hip issue, so Ante Zizic got the start. He played only five minutes, which was a, a weird decision from Ty Lu that enabled you know, Channing Frye, uh, jumping Jay Crowder to play a little bit more as well. LeBron averaged 39 minutes across the weekend, so good to see he's slowing down. Average a triple-double with two steals, and he was clearly, clearly awesome in that time. But as we've talked about with LeBron, he was shooting 43% from three from the season, only hit 27% of his shots from deep across these games, and that is likely to come down at some point uh, pretty soon. The LA Lakers, this is a weird portion of the season for the Lakers. Two games last week, two games this week. Jordy Clarkson put up some big numbers. Make sure that he is owned. And Kyle Kuzma, one shit game and one pretty good game. Uh, sorry, that no, that, that's not true. On the weekend, he had the big game. Prior to that, he'd had the shit game. It's, it's going to be hard to work out with him, Nance, and Randall what happens all the time. It was Larry Nance's turn to lose minutes across the weekend while Kuzma and Randall played those big minutes. The game before, it was Kuzma who, who was uh, low on playing time. So yeah, you can make an argument that Randall, Nance, and Kuzma can all be owned. I guess it really depends on, on what you're looking for. We know what we're getting out of Kuzma. It's points with some efficiency and rebounds. Nance, you're getting steals and blocks and field goal percentage. Randall, or you're getting points and rebounds. And the minutes are sort of going to fluctuate pretty much every game, which is going to make it tough to to own them or to label them all as must-own guys. Brandon Ingram was pretty solid across the weekend as well. Let's look at the Milwaukee Bucks. My mate, Jason Kidd, um, started Gary Payton the second again. And this is something that just bothers me, and it, it, it shits me to tears. And I can't stress it enough, is that with Tone Snell out, Kid started Gary Payton, played him five minutes in the first game. You go, what's the point of that? And then they ask him, well, yeah, yeah, the reason we're doing it is so we can keep the guys, the bench guys in, in their same role. Well, you know what, Jason? That's not actually true at all because I can, I know 100% for a fact that Tony Snell doesn't play and then play five minutes. So whatever role they're playing, it's different. So Brogdon playing 40 minutes in that first game is not what he would usually do. So, Oh yeah, his role is the same because he doesn't start the game on the floor, but he's still playing in different rotations, in different lineups, in different situations of the game. So that let's keep the bench unit together, keep them in their roles, is a load of shit because he was playing 24 minutes a night and then he plays 40. And then in the second game, to completely disregard or discredit the logic he used before, Peyton then played yeah 25 minutes in that second game and, and Brogdon went back to 25 minutes as well. So, so which one is it? 
I know you're still keeping Brogdon. Maybe that one makes more sense. You're keeping Brogdon in his bench role and giving him the same minutes. But under zero circumstance, should Peyton be getting the same amount of minutes as what Brogo does? And then DeAndre Liggins is getting minutes and Rashad Vaughn's getting minutes. It's just a complete shit show. But again, they're getting victories. I just don't think that Jason Kidd understands anything about uh, tactics or rotations or common sense or anything. And I feel like they're winning these games in spite of him or... Maybe that's, maybe that's a little bit unfair because he has done a few good things. There's been some decent development of some players, but how much is that on him? How much is it on um, other coaches in the organization? And I think they could be much, much better if they had a different coach. Very similar, and I know this analogy has been used before, but very similar to the Mark Jackson Warriors situation where they got to the playoffs and they did improve their record, but he wasn't a great coach. And again, when I put these things out about coaches, I get a lot of pushback on, on things. Well, no, he, was, he was a really good coach. They won games. That's not what it's always about. Um, yeah, winning games overall is, is your end thing. But you know, when Mark Jackson was just... when you know, some of, go and, Just go and read Zach Lowe wrote this great article about Mark Jackson. Some of the stuff is... Absolutely bizarre when Jackson was using Festus Azili against the players, saying to the other players, when Azili was out hurt, oh man, Festus is out there cheering against you. Go and show him how to, uh, go and show him how good you are, because he's out there, you know, really cheering for the other team because he doesn't want you guys to win. Like, what kind of bull? And then the other players got Festus, what's up? He goes, this is a load of shit. Like, that's bullshit. That is, that's terrible. That's horrendous coaching. The Exactly article is, is hilarious if it wasn't actually true, uh, the stuff that he was, uh, he was doing. Um, as for Brogdon, I still think that he's, he's a, a hold-ish guy in a, in a 12-team league. Doesn't mean he's a must-own player by any stretch. Um, in a 10-team league, I reckon you can probably move on. That's enough of my, uh, Jason Kidd ranting. The Orlando Magic, Nick Vucevic, just a, an absolute animal. 26, 15, and 6, two and a half blocks with two and a half, three average across the two games on the weekend. As Gordon was out of one of those due to a concussion, we had Evan Fournier out of both of those. So they were starting some sort of Frankenstein-based lineup with Mario Hazonia getting in there. Aaron Afalo starting. Don't think that because Afalo is starting, he's a guy you need to add. He isn't. Uh, John Simmons is, though, especially with Fournier out. He's going to get his usage up, which is one of the big reasons why I thought maybe he wouldn't be an automatic own because his usage would drop in the starting lineup. But with Fournier out, the usage goes right up. And he, we know he doesn't contribute much in the other areas. And a lot of his value is fueled by high usage, high efficiency, which I'm not sure can necessarily stick. But for now, you got to, you got to own him. Lord Alfred Payton was all right, but not really too much else to talk about. Uh, with the magic, the Phoenix Suns, um, the point guard, whatever it is that happens with those point guards continues with Mike James playing big minutes in this one after the three games prior. It looked like they were trying to get him out of the rotation almost. He then came in and played 29 minutes while Tyler Eulis played 19. James is still the guy to own there, but it, it was some weirdness. Dragon Bender's losing his role completely to Jared Dudley. While um, the center situation, it went back to Alex Len's turn out of this one as Tyson Chandler returned and he started and Greggy Munro. As Greg runs in, we realize this could get dangerous. He played the backup role. It's, again, just nothing really makes a huge amount of sense with anything that Phoenix does most of the time. The San Antonio Spurs, I don't really think you should judge anything. There was a back-to-back across the weekend. They sat a bunch of guys. Kawhi's going to be back on Tuesday. Davis Bertans is playing strong, but when everyone's healthy... He's not going to get these minutes. Bryn Forbes isn't going to get these minutes. Uh, Brandon Paul's not going to get these minutes. There's not a huge amount to talk about with the Spurs, except for the fact that Kawhi is likely coming back on Tuesday, which, of course, is absolutely awesome for everybody involved. For the Jazz, um, Ravishing Rick Rubio played 32 minutes. 
He had seven assists, so that's something that his owners would be pretty happy about. But I do think that he is going to struggle to play 30 minutes a night as we move forward. Don Mitchell uh, had his first real stinker in a while, shooting just 24%. A lot of people ask me about Alec Burks. He's doing what he's doing on unsustainable shooting. 62% in that game across the weekend for 20 points in 28 minutes. One, he won't shoot 62%. And two, he won't play 28 minutes a game when Rocket Rodney Hood comes back. Now, Hood might lose a couple of minutes and Rubio might lose a couple of minutes and you might see Burks coming in at 21 or 22. But he's not going to come in and play 28 minutes a night and shoot 60% from the field and do what he's been doing in this time. I just cannot see that that is going to be the case for Burks. So while in the short term, it's fine and we just don't know when Hood is going to be back, yeah, Burks' long-term value is uh, is pretty likely to fade. Derek Favors is struggling also. And when Rudy Gobert starts getting back to his 32 minutes a night, I think Favors is going to be down in the 25-minute zone. And that's going to make him a hard guy to own, very similar to how he was when the season began. When you know, Before the Gobert injury, he wasn't really doing it enough uh, to be a 12-team league guy. Not much to talk about with the Wizards. Gortat's minutes down again. Uh, Satoransky outplayed uh, Timmy Frazier once again. Markeith Morris had a had a game that he'd rather forget playing just 16 minutes. Not a lot to get overly excited about. So Otto Porter had a good game, which is something he'd been struggling with in the time that Johnny Wall's out. But Wall is likely back next week. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Frazier or Satoransky. I would clearly be playing uh, Thomas in that backup, um, backup point guard role. We'll see exactly if the Wizards do that or not. Let's talk about the games from Sunday now, and we'll get straight into talking about the monstrous line of the night. And it goes to none other than Victor Oladipo of the Indiana Pacers, 47 points, a new career high, seven rebounds, six assists, two steals, one block. He hit six triples. He was 15 of 28 from the field and 11 of 13 from the field. He is the eighth ranked player this season. And you might have a look on Basketball Monster and see that he's ranked eighth and see that we've got him projected out for the 16th ranked player this season. And go, Josh, what's what's the discrepancy there? Well, the discrepancy is he's shooting 44.5% from three, and I'm just not convinced that he's going to stick at that sort of level. I've got him shooting at 39% for the season from three. So expecting that regression, which then drops his points, it drops his field goal percentage, and it drops his three-pointers. That's three categories that will cop a little bit of a dip. He's also shooting 49% from the field overall. So that will come down... Also, he's getting almost two steals a game over a block a game. His numbers for the last month, averaging three threes a game and 2.3 steals are insane. He is the fourth ranked player over that time. He is shaping up to be the absolute steal of draft day. I thought that he was a guy that you had to target, and I did target him in in lots of different leagues. There is under no circumstance that I think that he would be this guy. I think that when I talked about him in the offseason, I would say, yeah, I think this bloke can maybe get maybe get back to a top 25 role, potentially with top 20 upside. And I didn't think that top 10 or, or top 5 was a realistic uh, possibility. But again, over the last 14 games, he is the fourth-ranked player and putting up numbers at a stupendous rate. But there are things that are going to fall off there, More in, mostly the three-point percentage and the overall field goal percentage, which then dips those points and threes categories as well, which will probably end up landing him outside the top 10 when all is said and done. But he has been ludicrously brilliant for the Pacers this season as they continue to defy all expectations. The waiver wire line of the night goes to Ersan Ilyasova. He had 20 points, which included five threes, four rebounds, two assists, two steals, two blocks. He was seven of 11 from the field and one of two from the free throw line. And a lot of questions about Ilyasova, questions even uh, on Basketball Monster uh, about him. But I'll, I'll tell you one thing about Ilyasova. Over the last two games, he has gone 10 of 11 from three. I can categorically state 
that will not continue. In the game on Saturday, he had a true shooting percentage of 116%. He had 84% today. These things are completely unrealistic for him to continue. When the Baptist John Collins returns, which is going to be this week, when Dwayne Dedman, the Undertaker, returns, which could be in two or three weeks, um, when Mike Muscala returns, when who bloody knows when that's going to be, who knows what Ilyasova's role is going to be. When everyone was healthy... Ilyasova was literally out of the rotation and then Babbitt went down and then Collins went down and then Deadman went down and Ilyasova had to play. They've also just converted Tyler Kavanaugh's two-way deal into a season-long contract and he is going to play some minutes there. So while Ursan is the 33rd ranked player over the last two weeks, he is doing it on 58% shooting. He is averaging 1.8 steals, which is the guy that averaged over the last five seasons, 0.8, 0.6, 0.7, and 0.7 steals. He is averaging 0.8 blocks, double anything that he has done over the past four seasons, and he's shooting 58% when he shot 43, 42, 47, and 41 over his past four seasons. He's shooting 57% from three. These are ludicrous numbers that are going to come down, and then his playing time is also going to come down. So look, you can ride it for another game or two and see what you get out of it. But there is, you should have zero expectation that this is the long-term value in your streaming spot. Fine. Add him. See how it goes. But when you look at the numbers, don't just look at, if you're on basketball monster, don't go, oh, two weeks, man. He's the 33rd ranked player. Let's go rank, rank, rank. It's not about rank. It's about looking at it and going, well, he's not going to shoot 58%. He's not going to shoot 57 from three. He's also not going to most likely produce steal and block rates, which are double you know, career high, career numbers. He's, he's not going to do that in all likelihood. Now, maybe he sees an increase in his steal numbers. Maybe he sees an increase in his block rate. I'd be pretty stunned if he can maintain what he's done over these past six games in terms of shooting percentages, steal rate, block rate, and playing time when everyone's back. It'd be, it'd be stunning to me. And we do remember that, again, he was literally completely out of the rotation even when he returned from injury. He he came back, he played 19 minutes, and it was a DMP CD, and then he played seven minutes of garbage time and then five minutes of garbage time, and then everyone got hurt. And then he started playing the big minutes again. Prior to these two games where he scored 46 points with 10 threes, the two games before that, nine points in 28 minutes, five points in 21 minutes, and then the game before that, nine points in 24 minutes. So it's not like it's been this you know, sustained run. It's been two absolutely bananas games and then you know, a couple of piss poor ones before that. So before you start dropping people with extraordinarily you know, better season long value, just really consider what's happening and what's fueling this and how it's going to look. Not saying he's a bad ad by any stretch, but you've got to really temper what you're looking at. The young gun of the night is Benny Simmons, 27, 5 and 10, a block, 10 of 16 from the field and Probably more importantly, he went 7 of 9 from the free throw line. Hopefully, he can keep up that improved free throw rate. He's the 25th ranked player this year. He's got a top 20 chance this year. Uh, yeah, look, there's not much more to say about him. You can talk about Don Mitchell all you want. You can talk about Jason Tatum all you want. Simmons puts up this, and you go, oh, yeah, that's fine. And that's just this is just normal for him now. He's the rookie of the year, clearly. Love what Mitchell's doing. Love what Tatum's doing. He is he is the rookie of the year, and it's going to take an absolute miracle for me for anybody to uh, to take over um, from Simmons in that in the lead in that category. The dud of the night goes to Andy Wiggins of the Minnesota Timberwolves. 10 points with three rebounds and an assist. At least he blocked a shot. He didn't hit a three. He had no steals. He was three of 12 from the field and four of eight from the line. He has been decidedly putrid this season. Ranked as the 143rd ranked player. Averaging 18 points, and that's that's valuable. No doubt about that. But we've seen his usage and his shooting percentages drop recently. 
He's at four rebounds, less than two assists, 0.6 blocks, and 1.2 steals, but just murdering your free throws, Jalen Brown style, 64% on five attempts, which puts him into that punt type category. Now, he can be better than that. He was 76 last year, 76.1 the year before that, 76 the season before that. So I expect some level of improvement for him, but maybe this is just one of those weird seasons. We saw Victor Oladipo, Nick Vucevic, Pau Gasol all drop their free throw percentages by about 10% over career averages last year. Maybe this is just one of those weird seasons for Wigo. I'm not dropping him by any stretch. The numbers haven't looked great. We know that his value is really in scoring and not much else, and that's always been the case. Um, but it's been it's been a pretty rough time for Andrew Wiggins owners in fantasy leagues. That was a ton of stuff to get to before we even get to breaking down all these games. This is going to be a long podcast, so go grab yourselves a drink, grab yourselves a coffee to keep awake, uh, do whatever you need to do. It is a it is a long show. I'm going to now go through all of the action that did take place on Sunday. Look at those six games and then preview the six games that we've got for um, for Monday in the NBA. All right, let's uh, let's look at these uh, look look at these games now. And try and break down some value of what actually did go go down in these in these games. The first one, the early game, was the Toronto Raptors and the Sacramento Kings. Serge Ibaka with another strong performance. It, it came on some good shooting, twenty points with four triples on sixty two percent. Definitely hasn't been as good as what some people might have hoped from him, but uh, he's, he's at least he's starting to, I guess, recover uh, recently. Um, CJ Miles, strong game from him, five steals in twenty one minutes, but. Oh, you obviously can't expect that. And what we did see is Norm Power play only nine minutes because the Jedi OG Ananobi played 27, and that's big minutes for three games in a row for Ananobi. And you know, Powell, any value you might have in 12 or even 14 team leagues, I'm not really sure that he's going to be able to maintain that. Yucca Pirtle, 22 minutes, nine and four, while Valanciunas played 22 with nine and eight. I don't look, Valanciunas didn't miss a shot and played 22 minutes, didn't have foul trouble. I feel pretty safe saying that he's not a 10-team league guy and not a 12-team league guy. Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan were, were okay. Both of them struggled from the free throw line, and Lowry actually struggled from the field as well. But 15, 12, and 6 is nice in the counting stats. Onto the Sacramento Kings. Now, normally I don't tell you who says the opening quote of the show until the very end of the show, which many people, man, well, how come you never tell us who the quote is? I do. That or, or the other thing is, what's with the random name you say at the end of the show? The random name at the end of the show is the person who said the quote at the very start of the show. There, that's that's me letting you in on the secret. Today's one, I'll say it now because it was Dave Yeager saying, talking about Jakar Sampson. Someone said, you know, you've been playing Sampson a bit. When uh, Corley Stein comes back, what are we going to do? And he goes, oh, yeah, because he's on a two-way contract. I'm paraphrasing here. Because he's on a two-way contract, um, it's going to be hard to do that because we we really want to develop guys. I, I almost pissed my pants reading that because... If you're wanting to develop guys, Dave, you actually have two other young big men who are in their second season in the NBA by the name of Scala Bissier and you're just Papianis, that in these three games that Corley Stein has missed, Papianis played eight minutes and Labissier played 14 minutes combined. While Samson was jotting out there for 19 minutes in this one at 26 the other day and 13 the other day. So this bullshit of like, oh, no, we probably can't play Samson anymore from here because of development is a laugh. It's a joke. It is a load of shit. You're playing 34 minutes for Zach Randolph because you need to develop players. Now, granted, Zebo's had two really strong games in a row, but he's disastrous on defense. He clogs up the offense, and he's taking development minutes away from everyone. So one thing I have is don't lie. 
it's bullshit. And you might you might say that oh he's focusing on the focusing on development. It's a load of shit. You could have played Lebissier in those three games instead of Samson. You could have played Papianis in those three games ahead of Samson. And I understand that the organization sent Lebissier down to the G League, but you had Papianis there. And when you were asked, "Will Papianis get any playing time?" you said, "Oh, that's an organizational decision. I'm all about the team." Whatever that bullshit means. And then you trot out this crap. It's just, it's disingenuous tripe. It is just a load of shit. Don't come out there and say, I'm developing the players. When you play Vince Carter, now, admittedly, he's toned down Vince Carter's minutes. We're getting Frank Mason into the mix. We had 33 minutes from Justin Jackson out of nowhere, although he had lost his rotation spot to Vince Carter in the uh, development phase of the season. It's just bullshit. Now, trying to work out what's going to happen with this team on a nightly basis is tough. Budrick Heald, strong again. 17 in 28 minutes with three triples and a steal. He's fine to own in 12s. Zach Randolph, probably have to own him. I wouldn't recommend that he's going to, I wouldn't suggest he's going to play 34 a night. He's not going to shoot 82% a night. And when Corley Stein returns, he could just as easily go back to 24 minutes a night. We saw Randolph start off at about 28 minutes, then go down to 22, and now playing 30 minutes a night. It's all over the place, as has been basically the the idea of this team all season, just everything all over the place. Georgie Hill was out for personal reasons. I don't know what any of that means. Frank Mason had 6-2 and 3 in 25, or Darren Fox had 6-1 and 2 with two steals. I just don't, I'm, I don't think that Fox is going to be a good fantasy player this season. He was a guy that didn't translate fantastically coming out of college for fantasy. Um, and it's been sort of proven this season. He just has has struggled. He's not getting those development minutes that uh, that he needs. He starts, but he doesn't play thirty a night. He plays in twenty three or twenty four or twenty five, depending on what bullshit that Jaeger wants to wants to run out there. Bogdan Bogdanovic, fifteen points with four triples in his thirty minutes. He's still more of a fourteen team league guy than a twelve team league guy. And talking about Jakar Sampson, he hit all five of his shots. He had three blocks and eleven points in nineteen minutes. But now we probably won't see him again, so that we can develop the other young players like thirty eight year old. I think actually he's only thirty six. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh. Zach Randolph, the Boston Celtics, and the Detroit Pistons. Al Horford banged his knee, left the game. And then came back in, played 34 minutes and had 18, 9, and 6 with two blocks. But he said he's sore after the game. So here's a possibility that he may not play on Monday. So be aware of that. And that would make streaming a guy like Bainesy or Vanilla Tice an option. Baines played 28 in this one with Marcus Morris out. Morris will also be out Monday. 6 and 13 for Baines. So he could have some value in that scenario. Uh, Jason Tatum just continues to make me look like a, uh, a know-nothing dipshit. He hit three of five threes for 60%. Just continues. To, I think he's up over 50% now from three. He continues to be the greatest shooter in history. While Jalen Brown just just stink, stinks. He just stinks at the moment in his fantasy value. 12 and three on 67% shooting from the line, 46 from the field. I don't think you should drop him much like Wigo, but he is really giving it to you in that free throw percentage category. Marcus Smart had 12 points, three assists and a steal. I still believe in Smart. Many people don't. If you want to drop him, it's definitely not the end of the world and he only fits with certain teams, but I still think he's doing sort of what he needs to do. On the Pistons, Toby Harris, 19 and 8, while Tone Tolliver played 22 minutes and had 15 and 3 with three triples. He's developing into an elite three-point streamer along the lines of a Nick P. Nick P. Uncle P. Nick Young was last year, or the Duke Wayne Ellington is this year, or what Troy Daniels can become in the short term. Tolliver is becoming that guy as well. 
Ish Smith played over Reggie Jackson down the stretch, 11-6-5 and five for Ish in 29 minutes, while Reggie was 0-9 of 9 for two points in his 19 minutes. But we've seen Stan Van Gundy do this before, and it's just as likely or almost guaranteed that Jackson will play 28 or 29 minutes in the next game, so nothing to be too concerned about. It wasn't Drummond's best performance, one of five from the field with 15 boards and six um, six points. While Luke Kennard, 24 minutes, Stan Johnson, 15. Kennard is coming. Um, Kennard is a, is a decent fantasy player. He looks good out there. Stan Johnson has been shithouse for the last couple of um, games. That's giving Tolliver more minutes. It's giving Kennard more minutes. Keep an eye on Kennard. I do like him uh, from a dynasty point of point of view. The next game to look at, the Denver Nuggets and the Indiana Pacers. No Nicole Jokic, no Paulie Millsap, and Wancho Hernan Gomez, a DNPCD, because Trey Lyles had the game of his life. 26 minutes for Lyles, 25 and 5 with 5 triples and a steal. That's that's all well and good. That's really good. He's going to play some minutes until or while Millsap is out. Um, but when Jokic returns, that will cut some of that playing time off because it will mean that Fareed won't play as many minutes at center going back to the four. Now, I could totally understand if you wanted to play Lyles ahead of Fareed, but you know, Lyles, is, you know, this is his best game of his career, and he is uh, horrendous defensively. Now, Fareed's not that much better, but he is better, so that's something they need to pay attention to. We're also seeing just a shit ton of minutes from Fart and Will Barton, 45 minutes here. It was overtime, but that's a lot, 21-6-9 and nine with two steals. And when Jokic returns, Barton's minutes will dip a little bit more. The Blue Arrow, 13-1-1 in 27 minutes. He was dealing with a calf problem before the game, but he looked fine. Should have played more minutes than that, but uh, I guess when you got to, when you can give Barton 45 minutes, you've got to, you've got to do that. I'm being partially facetious there, but Barton is playing really well. Um, baby neck Wilson Chandler, probably his best game of the year, 18 and 8 in 37 minutes, but I'd only be considering him a 14-team league guy, while Gaz Harris just did what he does, another 21 points for Gaza, while Ken Fareed had 4-11 and 11 in his 32. He's an okay 12-team league guy, at least until Jokic returns, and then we'll probably see him go back to a 24-minute role, which will make it hard to own him. On the paces, Miles Turner played 41 and had 24-8, and eight, two steals, a block, and two triples. For everyone who was getting really down on Turner, he's starting to show you why that we place a lot of faith in him in the preseason. He might not live up to being a top 20 guy, but he's going to continue improving. Thaddeus Young was good too, 18-6 and six in 40 minutes. Well, Demonta Sabonis, 14-4 is nice, but under 20 minutes in a overtime game. If you want to go and add someone, if you want to go and ride Ersan Ilyasova's hot streak and you got Sabonis, do it. Look, you'd be banking on an injury for Turner or Young for Sabonis to really put up some big uh, big numbers. With no Daz Collison, Corey Joseph started. He had two points with five assists. He is not a high-priority add, even if Collison was to miss long-term, while Lancey Stevenson had 12, 6, and 6. The Philadelphia 76ers and the New Orleans Pelicans Joel Embiid was all set to play. He was fine. He'd rested the game before, back-to-back. He was ready to go in this one. He did hurt his back on Thursday against the Lakers, apparently, but he was fine. And then in warm-ups, it got tight, and with about two minutes to tip, they said, well, he can't go. I'm not worried about this long-term at all. They said if this was a playoff game, he would have played. It's no long-term issue here for Embiid. It's not uh, trickery. It's not DFS cheating, as some people seem to think. Root, it's root. It's all root. Um, it's not that. But what it does do is it confuses us in terms of what happens in this front court rotation because we've seen Trevor Booker now play two games for the Sixers without Embiid. He played 25 minutes here. Holmes played 24 minutes. Amir Johnson played 24 minutes, and all three of them were good. But when Embiid comes back and when TJ McConnell comes back, how does all this play out? Will Holmes be out of the rotation? Will Booker be out of the rotation? 
what what's going to happen with these minutes? So while 16 and 9 for Booker with a steal and a block is great, while 12 and 9 with two blocks in 24 minutes for Holmes is great, while 16, 5 and 4 for Amir is also great, what does it mean? You've got two games this week for the Sixers, and B plays in both of those, then at least one of these guys just isn't going to play. And could be two of them don't play at all, and one of them has limited minutes. There's just not a lot there. Now, you could make the argument that maybe Sharich loses some playing time so Booker can get some time or Holmes get some time, but it's not going to be enough for Booker, Holmes, or Johnson to be anywhere near 12-team league value, in my opinion. Jared Bayless played 25 minutes and did nothing, while Timotei Lawawu Cabrero started for Bob Cobb. And that's the other thing. No Covington, so more minutes opened up at the four. Lawawu Cabrero had four points in his 23 minutes. Covington's going to miss one more game. Um, so, yeah, there is going to be some minutes there for for. I'd say mostly for Booker with a little bit for Luawu Cabrero, maybe some homes at the four as well if Embiid is back and, and Johnson might be the odd man out there. But it's just going to be tough to see these guys getting enough playing time to be considered useful in uh, in your standard league formats. For the Pelicans, Tone Davis, 40 minutes, 29, 8, and 4 with a steal and five blocks. Did hold his groin a couple of times, leading to the standard tweets. And someone did tweet today about uh, about Tone Davis. Doesn't doesn't care about the game. All, all he wants to do is cash his checks. That's it. Doesn't, just doesn't want to play basketball. Cool. I'm sure, I'm sure that's it. So thanks for reading into his psyche. Tone Allen suffered a knee injury. He lasted one minute. Be stunned if he played on Monday. Rajon Rondo, got to give credit to this guy. 37 minutes, 13, 2, and 18 assists, 5 steals, and a block. That is a monster, monster performance. Now, when everyone had been healthy, Rondo had been playing like 26 minutes a night and really struggling to do anything. This is a huge night. For as much as I say that I don't think Rondo is a very good player, and I'll openly own that, I say it all the time. But in the preseason, I was telling you that this guy is a great late pick. He's a guy that was getting drafted about pick 100, and he had immense value there. And I said, look, there is a risk that he comes in and he completely sucks and they replace him with Etwan Moore or they replace him with Ian Clark or they do whatever. That's not going to happen. Rondo has to be owned everywhere. He's still owned in only 68% of leagues. So some 10-team leagues, he's around. Go and add him. Drew Holiday was also enormous. 34-4-5, two steals, two blocks, five triples while Boog. Only 29 minutes for Boog. Did have some foul trouble, 23 and 9, but also he was about to come in late in the game and um, he said to Alvin Gentry, apparently, look, these guys are killing it. Mate, just let them keep going. And that's exactly what happened. Etwan Moore, the minutes still huge for him, 37 minutes, 14 and 3 with two triples. I think he's more of a 12, uh, sorry, a 14 team league guy than a 12 team league player. The um, next game to look at is the Dallas Mavericks and the Minnesota Timberwolves. The pencil Harrison Barnes, 19 points in 32 minutes. And as usual, there's just nothing happening with the Mavs from a fantasy point of view, except in deeper leagues, you have to pay some attention to Maxi Kleber. 34 minutes for Kleber, 16 and 5 with three triples and a block. He was one of those deep, deep guys that I talked about who I like their European translations. He's worked his way into a starting role. He's solid in that role. Um... Yeah, when Seth Curry returns, it could have an impact on Kleber's minutes, but I think he's going to be a rotational guy for the rest of the season. And 20-team leagues, 18-team leagues, you've got to have a look. There was no Dennis Smith here, and the Mavericks said they're not going to rush him back, understandably. So that gives some extra value to a guy like Yogi Ferrell, who had 10-4-7, and 7. JJ Bray, who had 16-1-4, and 4. and Antonius Cleveland, who played 18 minutes. Yes, he is a real player. He had three steals and two blocks. I would chalk this up and say this is probably going to be the best performance of his entire career. But have a look. If 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 you're in a 30-team league, if you're in a 60-team league, maybe you want to have a look at Big Antonius. Dirk, 10-5. That's solid. That's fine for a 12-team league 
team league. But in most cases, you're better off using that spot as a streaming option. For the Timberwolves, this is what I like to see. Jimmy Butler, 17 shots. Carl Anthony Towns, 15. The two top shot makers on the team. 28 and 12 for Townsy with three steals. Butler had 22, 8 and 5 with two steals and two triples. Hopefully, this is able to continue. I talked about Wiggins' shitful performance. Jeff Teague played 36 minutes, had 9, 3 and 5. My name is Jeff. Wasn't the, uh, wasn't the best performance there for Teague. He's still a guy that you just hold on to. Well, Gorgie Jeng, 24 minutes, four and seven with two steals. He's getting these minutes, but once Nemanja Bielitsa returns, and Bielitsa was dressed in this game but didn't play, so you'd have to think his return is pretty close. And Jeng loses six minutes. You know, Gibson loses two, three minutes off his playing time as well. And Taj actually struggled a little bit in this game after a pretty strong run of performances for him. The last game of the night, Dennis Schroeder did not play in the fourth quarter. He had 21 points in 22 minutes. He had some foul trouble, but surely he could have come back in in that final quarter as the Hawks um, didn't get the victory. Yes, he was getting beaten defensively by Jarrett Jack, but Isaiah Taylor... If you if you've watched Isaiah Taylor play, like he's he's not the guy to get it done. But this is yeah, Budenholzer had a history of doing this. He did it plenty of times with Jeff Teague. He did it last season with Schroeder to get uh, Delaney in it late in games. It's much like Van Gundy and Reggie Jackson. Schroeder will be back. He'll play his 34 minutes in the next game, and, and we'll all be fine. Torian Prince is on waiver wires. Make sure he's not 17, 8, and 5 in 38 minutes for Prince. While Tyler Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh, another strong game, 7 and 6 in 17 minutes, and he is a deep league guy now that he has value for the rest of the season. Um, DeAndre Bembry had put up a, a almost a tone snell. He had a 16 trillion, 16 minutes with no other stats, while Kent Bazemore does what he does best and be flaky and inconsistent. 9, 2, and 4 in 21 or 28 minutes for Kent. On to the New York Knicks. They started Lance Thomas again. He played 22 minutes and had 5 points. And that meant that we got 31 minutes of rugged Ronnie Baker. 9, 1, and 4 with two steals for Baker. This is a guy that's been inactive most of the season, hasn't played. Um, they went with weird three-guard lineups with Baker playing over Courtney Lee down the stretch. Just some weird, weird coaching. Don't go and pick up rugged Ronnie. Also, Doug McDirt had 23 points in 31 minutes. But in McDirt style, no assists, no steals, no blocks, three rebounds. And it came on 69% shooting. Giggity. So one thing we know, he won't shoot at 69%. And when no, nothing else is there, it, then there's no value in him. So he's a fine stream guy. Hey, I need some points. I need some threes. But he just does so little of, of everything else. Porzingis had 30 and 8. Porzingis. Two steals and three blocks. So a big night from Kristaps. While Michael Beasley impressively fouled out in under 10 minutes of play. Ennis Cantor was also dealing with a hip complaint. And the Hawks went quite small, and that limited his minutes. He had some foul problems too. Only 18 minutes. I wouldn't be overly concerned about Cantor, although he did arrive to the arena on crutches, but uh, I don't think it's uh, too much of a long-term concern regarding his groin problem. All right, that does it for all the action from Monday's or Sunday's games. I'm going to take a, a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to look at the games for Monday where there are six of them across the NBA landscape. And uh, before we do that, we will have a song from... Um, who are we going to listen to today? We'll listen to Jake McKelvey and the Countertops, and the song is called something that I can't read the name of. So I apologize for not being able to read the name of that, Jake. But here is the song, and then we'll be back to talk about DFS for Monday.
try And if you don't keep reminding me I won't remember your name So I'll check tomorrow to see If there's anything left here of me And if there is not I won't listen to a word that you say By the shipping, the sharks, and the shoes And all of the times that I ever Alright guys, we're back. Let's look at the perfect DF- DFS lineups from um, Sunday. On Fangel, Ish Smith, 28.7. And Rajon Rondo, 57.4. Vic Oladipo had 69.4. And Drew had 52.3. CJ Miles, 29.9. And Baby Neck Wilson Chandler, 33.1. Tone Davis had 59.6, Porzingis 53.6, and Rashawn Holmes 33.3 for a total of 417.3, and that cost 58,700. On DraftKings, they didn't offer an all-day slate. This is the main slate, three games. Drew Holiday 54, Redick 37.75, Ilya Sova 37.5, Holmes 30.75, Davis 56, Rondo 55, Trev Booker 30.25, and Carl Anthony Towns. 52.5 for a total of 353.75, and that cost $49,800. A very low-volume Monday, just the six games on. The first one of those is the Miami Heat and the Memphis Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are favored by 1.5 at home, and the total is a very un-DFS-friendly 195 points. It's also a weird day in terms of games. There's only two tip times, and it's uh, 8 p.m. Eastern and then 10.30 p.m. Eastern. That's it. So no staggering of games. Really weird schedule day. Um, for those of you in Australia, the games start at midday tomorrow instead of the usual 11 a.m. For the point guards, the iron shoulder, Goran Dragic, 6,500. Had had a couple of poor games, but bounced back really nicely in the last one. It's not a great matchup with a low pace uh, team against the Grizzlies who also do defend the point guard position well. I'd be okay using him, but he's clearly not a high priority. While Tyler Johnson at 4,600 has been playing well lately. 25 point average over his last five, 28 over the last three, but I don't really have confidence in him. So to me, he is a GPP type of an option. Mario Chalmers played big minutes in the last, or in one of his last games, actually only 13 in the last one. Well, Andy Harrison is now starting. I don't think there's any DFS value in either of those guys. At shooting guard, I like Tyreek Evans, 7,700 for Tyreek, 53 points in his last outing. He's almost a, almost a lock for, for 35 points, which is nice value at 7,700. And then upside to go above that. Deion Waiters is at 5,100. I, yeah, look, he's averaging 19 points over the last five. He's fine. I'm not sure his upside's high enough, but the salary has come down quite a bit where maybe you could see some appeal. The Duke Wayne Ellington, 3,700. He's still getting the minutes. Um, there's a little bit of upside there, but there are probably going to be better guys around. At small forward, Chandler Parsons should be back in this one. He's at 4,000. Uh, 4,200. He should be, sorry, he should play in this one. Um, yeah, I, th- I think he's, I think he's not a bad GPP guy here with, with actual 30 point upside, I believe he can get to. Or Joshy Richardson at 4,600. Just, yeah, I'm not, not feeling high enough upside to, uh, account for the low floor by, in using him. Justice Winslow was big in the last game. I'm not feeling that either. At power forward, Jermichael Green at 5,000. Just not a, an interesting fantasy player to me. So low upside, low floor. Shit option. Jimmy Johnson, 5,800. It was a monster in the last game. Started, played 39, uh, sorry, played 31 minutes and scored 39 points. We know what he can do fantasy wise. 
just really hasn't happened for him this season. But I do think that he has some tournament appeal here. While I like Kelly Olynyk, I just don't like the $6,100 price tag on FanDuel, and that would not lean me to use him in cash. Mark Asol at $8,400, I'd be happy using him in cash against Olynyk, against Bam Adebayo. Speaking of Adebayo or Deontay Davis, because Brandon Wright's already out, there's some low salary guys you can use well, so I think they're fairly limited in terms of their upside, so there's not a huge amount of excitement to have with either of those players. On DraftKings, um, not many guys I like as just just pure tournament flyers. You could put Jimmy Johnson in that, I guess, at 5,400. I like Chandler Parsons a lot at 3,800. I even think that's value in cash. Kelly Olenek at 55, I really do like. Tyreek at 72 and Marcus Sol at 78, I think is an exceptionally strong play over on DraftKings. Um, pricing once again on Fangel is really, really tight. DraftKings, it's a little bit more leniency. The next game, the Pelicans and the Rockets. The Pelicans on that second half of a back-to-back. The Rockets are favored by 12 and the total is 226.5 points. Um, we want to check the status of Anthony Davis. He did play through that groin problem, but it was bothering him. It is a back-to-back, and if this game gets ugly, he might not be. Uh, he might not play his usual you know, 40-odd minutes that uh, Elvin Gentry continues to run him into the ground with. Chris Paul, $9,000, has been playing really well. That's quite a high price, but again, with such tight pricing on uh, on Monday's slate, I think that he is worth a look for cash lineups. Well, Rajon Rondo at 5600 I think you'd feel pretty good about using Rondo. He's not going to do exactly what he did in today's game, but I think you feel pretty good about him getting at least 26 or 27 points. I think he is worth worth having a go at. Um, shooting guard, Eric Gordon's at 4,700. I don't, I don't really see that. Yes, it's against his former team, but uh, he's just not getting the opportunities he was before, whereas I love Jim Harden at 11.8. You feel great about his floor. There's huge ceiling there as well. Really like using Jimmy. Uh, Drew Holiday at 6,800. We know that he's been crushing it. I think 6,800 is probably a little bit too high. Um, especially for cash, that he does have that ability to to go cold when everyone's around. Didn't happen today, clearly, but but it could happen. So that makes me think of him more as a tournament guy. Well, Etwan Moore at forty six hundred, probably six hundred dollars too high. At small forward, Trev Ariza is at fifty four hundred. Nice game from him in the last one, but just not enough, not enough consistency or not consistently high enough production for me to think that's an absolute lock. Darius Miller, PJ Tucker. Yeah, they're just they're just not high upside players or or really even for that value, like high floor guys. At Powerford, I like Ryan Anderson's upside here. He only played 17 minutes in the last game, but he'd been knocking his threes down pretty highly. Um and in, how will he be able to go with uh if Dante Cunningham matches up on him or or Boog or Tone Davis chasing him out to the perimeter? That could give him some open looks. He's at four thousand dollars. That's worth a look in a GPP, but I would never use Anderson in a cash play. Tone Davis at 10-6. You look at that price and go, that's great for Anthony Davis. But with that groin, with the blowout risk, you might want to just lean him a little bit more towards tournaments. At center, we've got Clint Capella. Yeah, the boogie matchup makes me go probably no for Clint, whereas um, Boog comes in at $12,000. I'd rather spend my 11.8 on Jim Harden um, than, than go up that big on Cousins. Our Cousins can be okay to use for cash at that price, but I'll, I would rather spend up in uh, in other areas, much like uh, much like Jim Harden. Over on DraftKings, um, for cash, I like Chrissy Paul at 81. I like Tone Davis at 10,000. I like Boog at 10,7. That's a much better price for Boog and 11,6 for Jim. So some high price guys are all pretty worth, pretty, uh, pretty good looking here in terms of their value. The cheaper guys, I don't really feel too excited about much on DraftKings. Rondo's at 5,800, so higher than his fan jewel price. So that takes him a little bit further down the pecking order while 6,600 for Drew Holiday's fine, but probably more of just a tournament type of guy to have a look at. 
Let's take a look at the next game now. It's the Boston Celtics and the Chicago Bulls, the Rajon Rondo Bowl. The Celtics are favored by seven, and the total is 199 points. Al Horford's the one we want to check on, who said his knee after the game was quite sore. If he is out, then Aaron Baines and Daniel Tice do become options, and you might even consider Bainesy a cash lock if we have Horford out. Chrissy Dunn is now up to 7,700 on Fangio, and fair enough, because he's averaging 45 over his last three and 38 over his last five, but that is a big, big amount of money, so you have to feel pretty confident that you're going to get 38 points out of Dunn, and I'm not, against the Celtics team whose defense is, is as good as it is, I'm not feeling super locked in that Dunn can do that. Now, he can have 45, and that could make him some tournament money, but for cash, that's a very, very high price to pay. Kyrie at 8300 Shit, if I can go just an extra $600 to get Kyrie over Chris Dunn, I probably will, especially considering the matchup against the Bulls is, is quite a good one for Kyrie. Um, shooting guards, Marcus Smart's at 56. I have no interest. Justin Holiday also at 56. I would clearly take him over Smart. His recent games haven't been awesome, just 15 in his last game, but you know, 26 average over the last five, including that turd, makes me look at him as more of a GPP guy, but has has a def- decent level of upside. I like Jalen Brown at 5,500. Has struggled a bit recently, but at that price in this matchup, I just feel like a big one's coming from Jalen, so I do like him here. The Hammer, Denzel Valentine, 4,300. Really hard to rely upon him at the moment. While David Nwaba, the man who's taking minutes away from the Hammer, he is at 4,500. Now, he's put up some big games recently with some big minutes. I don't feel super confident that his really high field goal percentage will stick, and that makes me look at him as more of a tournament type of a guy. For the Power Forge, Nikola Miritich, 4,500. Looked all right in the last game, 22 points in 20 minutes, but... That's not enough at 4,500, and where's the realistic upside here? He's not coming in and playing 28 minutes ahead of Larry Markinen, I don't believe. Jason Tatum up to 6,300 as well probably puts him out of the market, while 6,600 for Larry is too high also, considering I think he might play 30 instead of 32 or 33 minutes, given the way that um, the Bulls will, will you know, just give those couple of extras to Miritich and, and try and ease the load a little bit on Lowry. As for Tice, minimum salary, he'd be a guy you'd take a look at if we hear that Horford is out. At center, Bob Lopez, 5,300. I think that's fine for cash. Not sure there's much tournament upside, but it's pretty decent for cash. While Bainsey at 35, I love that in a tournament. Bainsey put up 24 today, and he could easily get 30 if Al Horford happens to be sidelined, which is a distinct possibility on a back-to-back against the Bulls. On DraftKings, tournaments, Jalen Brown at 57 is more of a GPP guy on DraftKings. And then for cash, there's a lot of guys I like. I like David Nwaba at 38. I like Robin Lopez at 49. I like Justin Holiday at 51. Markinen at 52, I think he's a very strong cash play. Chris Dunn at 6,100 and Kyrie at 8.5 all have value in cash and in tournaments over on DraftKings. The next name we'll take a look at is the Charlotte Hornets and the Oklahoma City Thunder. No spread uh, at this point for this game because we don't know the status of Paulie George and Andre Robertson. And for the Hornets, it's Jez Lamb, it's Frank the Tank Kaminsky, and it's Nick Batum. So lots of different things can change in this game. For what it's worth, Paul George says that he's likely going to play. So we could almost rule him in uh, into it. But if he is out and Robertson's out, you're going to have Kyle Singler, Alex Abrines getting minutes, more usage for Mallow and Westbrook and Steve Adams. And on the Hornet side of things, you could have Batum and Lamb out, meaning that Malik Monk might get an opportunity. So he could be someone you look at in your GPPs. And in the situation where Batum is out and Lamb is in, then Lamb becomes a good option even in cash. But we don't know the status of those guys. So of course, check back on Basketball Monster to see how it all pans out. Russ is at 11,200. And while 
He's not playing all that well in terms of efficiency. He's still putting up some decent DFS numbers, so I like him at 11-2. He's a strong cash play. Well, Kemba at 8,300, probably a little bit too high for Kemba, 8,300 against a Thunder team whose defense is pretty good. Carter Williams and Felton. I might look at Ray if both Robertson and um, George are out, but I wouldn't look too hard, and he's not going to be a, a strong option uh, in, in most cases. At shooting guard, Nick Batum's at 6,000. Not interested even if he's ready to go. Robertson at 4,700. He's been putting up some numbers, and if Paul George is out and he is in, you might consider him, but I just think that the floor is too low and the upside too limited for me to really like him. While Jez Lamb at 5,000, I would smash that if he is in and Batum is out. But we don't know that at this point. And you might not know that by the time lineups lock, so that would make him a GPP option in that situation. Abrines is at 3,700. If Paulie George and Robertson are out, he feels like a cash lock. He had 28 points in 41 minutes in the last game, and that was with Robertson playing. As for Paulie George, 7,800. I think that's worth a tournament look if he is ready to go, as we expect that he will be. While Kid Gilchrist at 4,900. I just don't, I just don't see it for him from a fantasy point of view. A power forward, Jeremy Grant, 37. No, nah, not doing much. Mallow's at 7,100. If Paul George is out, I think Mallow has some appeal. Even for cash, you could consider him. Frank Kaminsky, Marvin Williams. Well, if Frank is out, the 5,100 for Marv has a level of appeal, but it's not a massive level of appeal. In the last game, he had 21 points without uh, Frank around. So not a huge amount, but he could be someone that you look at and that would open up some of his tournament ability. John O'Brien is another guy you can look at in GPPs. He put up 27 points in the last game. He's at 3,700. And if Kaminsky is out, he's going to get 15 to 20 minutes as a backup at the five. And that could really enable him to, to easily smash through that value. I like Steve Adams a lot at 6,500. And that only increases if George is out. Or Dwight Howard at 8,800. Um, it's a significant price hike for Dwight, but he could play a lot of minutes. Decent matchup against Adams, and he could be asked to carry a big load. So I do think that he is worth a look at that price, um, just because of the injuries to Cody or the injury to Cody Zeller. On DraftKings, um, tournament-wise, no one who really stands out as a, as a tournament must-play guy. Jez Lamb at five thousand will have value, of course, if Batum is out. So you could consider him. And for cash, I like Adams at fifty-nine. I like Kemba at seventy-seven. I like Dwight at seventy-five, and I like Russell. Westbrook at $11,000. Let's have a look at the next game. We're going to talk about the Toronto Raptors on a back-to-back as well against the LA Clippers. The Raptors are favored by five and a half, and the total is 214.5. Milos Teodosic is questionable. He played the first two games of the season and developed this plantar fascia injury, and he could be back. Now, I don't imagine he's back playing 30 minutes straight away, but with Patrick Beverly out, they are going to need some point guard minutes. Sindarius Thornwell started the last game. CJ Williams had been starting prior to that. So I think that Teodosic if he is healthy, we'll move straight into that lineup and probably play 30 minutes a game after a couple of games to begin here. So that's something to pay attention to. At point guard, he's at 4,400 on Fangio. You could you could consider that a tournament guy um, if he's going to play, but we don't know that yet. Austin Rivers at 6,300. I don't mind that for cash. He's going to have to shoulder a decent offensive load and get close to 30 most nights that he's out there. Fred Van Vliet at 4,200, maybe a little high. I like Kyle Lowry at 83 with so few options on this slate. He's worth a, worth a look as well. At shooting guard, DeMar DeRozan at 8,800. I think he's going to get 40 nearly every time he rolls out there, which is pretty decent value for for cash games. Well, Lou Williams at 8,400. You can use him for cash. He feels like he's going to get 40 every night as well, but I would rather take DeRozan over Williams if I've got that extra $400 around. Storm and Norman Powell, 
Minimum salary now for good reason. He's averaging six over his last three. At small forward, the Jedi, OG Ananobi, 3,900. Not really doing much fantasy-wise. I think that he's someone I wouldn't be keen on, but I love the rooster, Danilo Gallinari. 6,200 for him. He had 33 in the last game. I think he's a pretty decent option. While Wes Johnson, he's going to get the minutes, but he's not a real consistent offensive threat at all. At power forward, Serge Ibaka, I like at 5,500. He feels almost like he's going to get 25 most times that he's out there, so he's decent. Pascal Siakam, not not much there. The table, Montrez Harrell, Jamil Wilson for the Clippers, no. At center, Jakob Pertl, 4,500. The minutes have been okay, but he hasn't quite been getting that level of production, so he's a fade, as is Valanciunas, whereas I like uh, DeAndre Jordan at 7,600. At least he'll get 30 and probably has a 35 to 40 point upside in this matchup. Over on DraftKings, um, GPP tier dosage at 3,800. You can almost put that in cash if he plays, but otherwise, if we don't know, that's a, a tournament option for sure. And then you got for cash, I like Pirtle at 3,700. Big difference in the price compared with Fangio. You got the Rooster at 5,300. Austin Rivers at 62. DeAndre at 73. Lou Williams at 76. And DeMar DeRozan at 8,200. All of those guys have cash value over on DraftKings. The last game of the night is Portland and the Golden State Warriors. Yusuf Nurkic is out. Um, Steph Curry is out. And then we've got a bunch of other injuries to pay attention to. Mo Harkless is questionable in the last game. Weirdly, Shabazz Napier did not play at all, even with Harkless out. Evan Turner started and Pat Connaughton got minutes, so those guys get a bump. On the Warriors, Draymond is probable. Pat McCaw is questionable. And Zaza Pachulia is doubtful. So JaVale McGee looks likely he'll get another start. If McCaw is out, it's going to be Quinn Cook and Sean Livingston sharing the point guard minutes. And Draymond is likely to play. At point guard, Lillard's at 9,300. Doesn't have a great record against the Warriors. That's a pretty expensive price. I would only consider him a GPP option here for Dame. And Napier at 35, just weirdly out of the rotation entirely. Could be a GPP guy if Mo Harkless happens to be sidelined, whereas the Warriors point guard situation, Livingston at 38, he started the last game. Put up 16 points in 25 minutes. He is not a high-scoring sort of a guy. McCaw would be the interesting one if he is ready to go, but he is listed as a shooting guard at 4,100. Could have some value. CJ McCollum, 6,800, has been struggling a little bit recently with just a 29-point average over his last five. I do think that he has really nice tournament appeal here, while Clay Thompson at 7,500, also a pretty decent, strongly... Uh, that's not a, That's not the right word. A pretty decently strong cash option given the absences on this Warriors team. Connaughton's at 3,800. He'd be a GPP type flyer. At small forward, Iguodala at 4,600. Too inconsistent for cash. Not high enough ceiling for tournaments is my view. While Kev Durant at 11,7. Love that. I'd be all over using Kevin Durant at that sort of a price. Evan Turner at 37. I'd look at if Harkless is ruled out because he should start and get an increase in minutes. At power forward, El Farouk Aminu, 5,300. I like that a lot. I think that's a cash option for Aminu. Really interested in using him in this one. Uh, Jordy Bell, no. Dave West, no. Vonley, Ed Davis, no, no, no. Um, Myers Leonard's the other one who did start at center. Now, he is listed as a center. He's at 3,700. He could get destroyed by the Warriors defensively, but he is going to have some GPP upside with a you know, 28 to 30-point ceiling. That's worth a look at 3,700. JaVale McGee... Yeah, no, let's, uh, let's not. On DraftKings, um, McCullum at 6,800 is a tournament guy, and I love Aminu at 46. Like, absolutely love that. Clay Thompson at 71 is also a strong cash play, and Kevin Durant at 10.9 is super strong over on DraftKings as well.
Let's just flip it over to the last couple of sites we want to look at on Yahoo. Some GPP options. We've got Milos Teodosic. We've got Marvin Williams, Jeremy Grant, Bainsey, Evan Turner, Daniel Tice, Myers Leonard, and then some other guys for cash. Nwaba, Chandler Parsons, Tyler Johnson, Aminu Alinic, Gallinari, Rivers, Chris Dunn, Mark Gasol, Dwight Howard, and Chrissy Paul. On Moneyball for the tournaments, we've got CJ McCullum. Tyler Johnson, David Nwaba, Aaron Baines, and then the other guys who are yeah, good for both types, Chandler Parsons, El Farouk Aminu, Jalen Brown, The Rooster, Steve Adams, Chris Dunn, Tyreek, Kyrie, Gasol, Mark, Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, Jim Harden, and Russell Westbrook. And on Draft Stars for tournaments, I think Russ is more of a GPP guy on Draft Stars. McCullum, Jermichael Green, Aminu, Teodosic, Joshi Richardson, Jakob Pertle. And for cash options, we've got Chandler Parsons, we've got Tatum, Kelly Olenek, The Rooster, Chrissy Dunn, Kyrie, Marcus Gasol, Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, and Tone Davis. That does it for today's show, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, go and leave a five-star review. You can also find the podcast on Google Play, on TuneIn, on Stitcher, and on Spotify, and on YouTube, where you can subscribe and leave a thumbs up as a great way to support the show. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. And that's it. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Dave Yeager.